In this episode of Docs, Tim and Tom sit down to talk about staking and tokenomics. There's a lot of audience participation, and this is a really good one. I hope you enjoy Doxed. Uh, welcome, guys, to uh, NFT AMA. Uh, name is currently pending. Um, that's not what it's going to be forever. So eventually there will be a switch, and I promise you it will be better than NFT AMA. Uh, but my name is Tom DeSico. I'm the uh, Quarter Machine NFT Project Community Manager. Uh, and uh, this is our little NFT AMA show live question on uh, Quarter Machine's Discord. Uh, with me, I have Tim Nielsen. Tim? Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, good to be here. So I'm controller at Quarter Machine. I'm also an attorney and uh, and work on some other projects in the space. And, and I'm a founder and entrepreneur. So glad to be here as always. Awesome. This uh, this episode is going to be very cool. Uh, this was per the request, the votes of uh, our community here in Discord. And we're going to be talking staking and tokenomics uh, during this recording. Uh, I am a super newbie. Uh, within the NFT space. Obviously, Tim is a little bit more seasoned than I am, so it does make an interesting pair. Uh, we do record with the community, so uh, there are people and the people that are here now listening live. Just know, you guys, this is open forum. If there's a question, a thought, something that you want to know or ask, unmute, and uh, we'll just we'll just make it a conversation moving forward. Yeah, no, I, that sounds great. Um, yeah, feel free to jump in. So I'll, I'll kind of kick it off um, with some high-level discussions on the topics that, that Tom just mentioned. As always, as we dive in, I'd just like to reiterate that, I, as I said, I am an attorney, but I'm not your attorney or anyone's attorney here. None of this is going to be legal advice and uh, is not intended to be, and none of this is intended to be financial advice. So take away from it what you will, and uh as always, consult your own professionals and, and do your own research and, and all that jazz. So with that said, uh, let, let's dive in. Um, so th this week, we're going to be talking about staking. We're going to be talking about tokenomics. Um, you know, I guess we can just start at the very beginning. Uh, uh, the Oxford Language Dictionary defines stake as high quality beef, typically <laughs> taken from the hindquarters of an animal. Cut. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so understanding staking. Um, what is it? Why are we hearing a lot about it? And, and kind of what's going on with staking? Um, staking is, is a process that contributes to a certain proof model for, for certain, you know, cryptocurrencies and blockchains, specifically the proof of stake model. Um, if you're not super familiar with, with terms like proof of work and proof of stake, I mean, don't, don't worry. Um, but uh, that's sort of where where staking originates. Well, it is where staking originates from in this context. Um, the to give you an example of the differences in those models and and kind of why staking has is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, it's important to understand kind of what these these models are and how they work. So so proof of work is basically a um, the structure by which in order to make a new record on a blockchain, um, validators have to engage in specific computational tasks. Um, and those, you know, Bitcoin is a great example of a uh, proof of work model. And so anytime um, there's going to be a, a new block added or, um, you know, kind of simplifying here, but a computational task, which on the Bitcoin network, I believe, and somebody, somebody Google me, we'll have our fact check segment, I think takes roughly 10 minutes right now with current computational capabilities. 
A hash um, block? Is that where yeah, you're? Yeah, see, yeah. See, see how long that takes on Bitcoin. I think ten okay. minutes. But I could be wrong. Um, that and and so that that work is done, and and the the you know it goes until the particular computational task is complete, and then that um, in turn will validate, and that's that's proof of work at a very very high level. Um, proof of stake came about as a way to. Um, essentially say, look, instead of just saying anybody can contribute to this validation process in any capacity, i.e., on, on, you know, you don't have to have any Bitcoin to validate or to participate in proof of work. Um, we want to switch to a, a model where the more of our underlying token that you have, the, uh, the more, the higher degree to which you can contribute. So that is to say, if you have you know, a large quantity of um, polka dot or, you know, p pick your proof of proof of stake token, um, then that's what enables you to participate in that validation process. And, and you have a higher probability of receiving the, the incentive for validating um, and that being, you know, how a token is mined. So in the case of Bitcoin, the incentive is, you know, a Bitcoin in the case of other tokens, that's what you're mining is those tokens. And so proof of stake is intended to take the ability to participate in validation and put it back into the hands of token holders um, and to try and align that with the proportionality of, of how much of that currency they hold, um, if that makes sense. So chime in with any questions, because I probably explained that in a way that was confusing. But yeah, no, I, Tom, think, I think you think? did. I think you did good. I do want to say you were right. It's it's 10 minutes uh per block on uh on the bitcoin blockchain cool yeah i, I think that's right right and, that, and that's there to be an artificial barrier to um to prevent people with incredible computational power to be able to go in and, and change a ton of records very quickly right the the point being that you wouldn't want somebody to be able to fly in and in a matter of you know less than less than less than a nanosecond or whatever right with massive computational power be able to change a ton of records because if you could do that theoretically you could um change more than half or you could change um or just make it less secure um you know so by imposing these barriers to to validating and, and you know adding hashes or, or block records or whatever terminology you want to use you also inhibit the ability of somebody to go in and make massive changes very, very quickly because that process has to be completed each time and it, it puts a barrier in the way. Perfect. And so that's, that's the, the point behind it. So now we come back around to, okay, so staking. Why do people care about staking? Well, if in order to participate in this validation process and thus have an opportunity to essentially mine the cryptocurrency, one has to have... A, a large quantity of it you you have to have the the more you have the more your odds of being able to get that reward are um it makes sense for people to kind of put their money where their mouth is and say i'm going to put this um i'll, I'll say ethereum hypothetically although they ha they haven't rolled out their proof of state proof of stake model yet but um it's it's been coming um for a while so maybe it's close i don't want to speculate about that that's a whole other thing but um you know, to say, so hypothetically, you know, if I want to validate transactions on, on Ethereum, um, I would need to have some minimum threshold of ETH in, in, a, in a wallet that, that I would stake to, to basically be a validator. Um, 
so this has led to people saying, well, hey, gosh, you know, maybe I don't have enough of that to do myself. But if we all put some together right into a pool, then we could state that pool and participate in proof of stake validation. And if, you know, we if it generates some tokens, if it generates some of that, that, you know, we mine some some tokens, then we would just split those back out as yield. Right. So it, it it can be a way for people who don't meet minimum stakeholder requirements to pool assets together. It can also be a way for um, even larger pools to be formed, thus increasing their you know, likelihood of being able to validate and receive that incentive token, that mine that token. And so you can have you know, huge groups of staking pools that come together and help facilitate that validation process. So at kind of a, a high level from a cryptocurrency perspective, that's what, what staking is intended to be. It's, it's putting, your, putting your tokens into a pool that gives it credibility in the proof of stake system to be a validation uh, node and to basically mine additional currency by participating in validation. Um, and so then that, yield, that generates yield, right? So it's easy to see how staking your cryptocurrency in that way could generate yield because as, as you mine those tokens through validation, that becomes yield to the staking pool. So hopefully everybody's with me there. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you. Um, I think the next, the next question would be, just because that there is uh, an asset stake does not necessarily mean that it's fun functioning like a proof of, of work, um, but it is functioning like some sort of asset control. So that's kind of what I see staking like in some projects is that now you are you're not listing your your NFT uh, and they are rewarding you for being a holder. So while you perfectly walk through how proof of work and proof of stake works, do you feel that sometimes we see within the NFT space that term being thrown around? Well, it technically is not that term. Right. Yeah. So you, this is a great segue. So um, as with when we talked about DAOs last week and, and talking about terminology in the space, we also see the word staking being used, right, in, in a lot of different contexts, in, in ways where you're not necessarily contributing to a proof of stake pool or you're not necessarily contributing to a mining pool. Um, and, and we see that more with, with NFTs. And this is not to say that you can't do that with NFTs. There are marketplaces that will let you lock up an NFT into a wallet and then they will issue you a fungible token, right, that's paired to your NFT. And then the fungible token is of a particular cryptocurrency that is stakeable. And then like there are ways, right, that, that you can properly stake NFTs into um, but by pairing with it other tokens and by locking up um, rights and ownership and and engaging in some of these kind of sophisticated DeFi pro platforms, you can leverage your NFTs for legitimate proof of stake staking. However, what you're saying is, is true. So there's also the kind of ubiquitous like staking word that's being thrown out there and, and used for basically, you know, the best I can try to define how I'm seeing it used is, um, you know, kind of lock up your NFT and get some type of utility back. Right, it's a perfect, perfect explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so, and to your point, right? Most of these instances, 
nothing's being used to actually run a proof of stake mechanism. And this leads to where, where I kind of wanted this point to go, which is, you know, we talk about how to vet NFT um, projects. Generally, we talk about what you should look for in, you know, to, to maybe spot rug pulls or, or scams. Um, and then we, we talk about, you know, some of the risks in, in using these assets and, and what they might be classified as. So I guess here we go, to like cue up the, the I'm, uh, I'm not trying to scare you music. A lot of times you have to ask yourself, well, then what, where does this promised yield come from? Because if you're engaging in mining and you're engaging in some sort of validation, uh, you know, structure and, and you're contributing assets to an actual staking pool that has a potential to mine underlying cryptocurrency and have that come back as yield, that makes sense. If somebody says, hey, um, stake your NFT and you're going to get yield, if it's not something that is explained to be participating in a, in a clear yield generating you know, system, where's that coming from? Right? It's important to kind of ask that. And say, okay, well, so if you're going to promise me 600%, you know, yield when I stake my NFTs, what's that based on, right? First of all, percentages are hard because NFTs don't have the same type of market value as, as fungible tokens. And also, what, do, what is being done with it that makes that sustainable? I'd, I'd, like, I'd always like to explore that right before I would be excited about something like that. So I think what we tend to see with NFTs is less yield and more utility more people saying hey in exchange for quote unquote staking your nft um you'll get you'll unlock these additional utility right there are these additional benefits or, or whatever you'd like to say that seems to be more common um in, in nfts you also can see nfts being used to um basically they can be staked for other types of maybe ERC-20 or BERC-20 tokens. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Pixel Vault allows NFT staking in exchange for their POW token. Um, but that's their own economics, right? They, they've decided that that's part of their token economic model, their tokenomic model. And so they're allowing, they're, they're managing their supply, their token supply through that mechanism. But that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with true measurable yield, they're not necessarily doing anything with the with the NFTs that's generating revenue and income, which is then getting returned. It's more just a, to me, um, and I've not done an extremely deep dive on their economics, but it's it seems to be more of a way to manage and maintain um, their own internal supply of their own token, right, or one of their tokens. And so staking now could also mean, I guess, sort of it's almost sort of a, a way to add utility to NFTs by saying, look, if you hold it, if you've had it this whole time, we're going to we're going to give you additional assets that, that we have access to, whether it's as an NFT project, whether it's our token, whether it's a partner token, whether it's some token that we have a lot of. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see things like that um, in projects like, uh, you know, where you where you see the ape token. And you have kind of the the board API club and mutant apes. You know, I wonder if they're you know 
maybe something like that down the road where you can stake for ape or maybe you can already again that's been kind of a whirlwind with how quickly that's happened and with yuga labs raising their round but um but there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that this word is now used and and to come kind of back full circle to what i said it's now in the in the nft space more just kind of means hey basically prove that you own this nft and kind of lock it up for a period of time and in return we're going to give you x utility back that other people who don't lock it up don't get um the question of what why what why is there value in you locking it up right um things like that those are going to need to be answered kind of on a case-by-case basis project by project but that leads us nicely into kind of the higher level concept of just general tokenomics and why what, what are reasons projects might want that or what are reasons they may want you to participate in a staking system from an NFT project perspective? Because obviously in in NFTs, at least for now, excluding those elaborate DeFi protocols, we're kind of moving beyond proof of stake staking and we're more talking community and and utility uh, benefits, right? As opposed to true proof of stake staking. Awesome. That was a great explanation. I mean, my, my major takeaway was like, I can get excited about uh, projects that mention staking, but really taking away a sustainable model within staking. What about that model that they are promising will make it a long-term plan with staking? And where does that, that incentive come from to stake? Cool. Well, yeah, that's good then. Um, so I guess next we can start talking about a couple of, um, well, let's maybe move into some of the reasons behind um, NFT project staking specifically and move on maybe from more the traditional cryptocurrency proof of stake staking, because I think that's, you know, after all, we're we're here talking kind of in in a community of, of NFT holders. And I think that makes sense. So absolutely. Um, so, yeah, one, one of the things to, to think about then is so what value does does a NFT staking kind of proposition lend to both sides of that transaction. So in other words, what does the project get out of people staking their NFTs? And what does the person staking their NFT get out of staking their NFTs? And, you know, usually in the, in, well, I shouldn't say usually, but often uh, the reason that there can be reward for staking NFTs and NFT projects is because there is some counterbalancing, you know, kind of risk proposition. There's something that you're foregoing by staking it. You're you're either giving something up in the short run, or maybe you're you're taking on some level of risk with respect to your asset. Maybe the risk of loss, losing the asset. Maybe the risk of um, losing, you know, in the short run, liquidity at the very least. Right. I think that's something that is almost universal, right, is that if you stake an NFT, there's a lockup period where you can't sell it or control it. So there, there's always a risk component on one hand. And whether that's liquidity risk or the risk of not being able to access it, sell it, do something with it for a period of time, or whether it's risk of loss, whether it's risk of um, losing a right or benefit associated with it, maybe you can't claim airdrops or something else in there, whatever that is, in exchange for that, um, presumably there's this counterbalancing return in the form of some other utility, some other benefit, um, some, uh, as I said, some payment in a token, whether it's from the project or, or it's a base token or a uh, ecosystem token, right? It doesn't, 
doesn't necessarily um, have to be, you know, the the base token of the NFT. But um, and and that's sort of the proposition that that both the project and the token holders are looking to balance. And so, just like when we're talking um, sustainability for NFT projects, it's important to kind of evaluate potential viability of any any sort of staking proposition. So, if somebody says, "Hey," stake these NFTs, um, what you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to agree that you lock them up for two weeks, and during those two weeks, you're going to get X amount of token. Well, that, that's great, but how, how is that sustainable and viable for that project? What does the project get out of those being locked up for two weeks? Does that give them some sort of edge? Does it give them the ability to leverage those assets themselves to try and generate some kind of return that then can can come back and you know and allow them to sustainably pay yield or is this more of a metering mechanism is it as simple as look we want to get some token supply out there and we want it to go to people who are part of our community and part of our ecosystem and therefore this is how you prove that and this is how you can kind of claim that you can get that token yield to you and and get that that out to you on a metered system and again, then looking at that going, okay, so that's what they're trying to accomplish is, is kind of a metered flow of a token supply. So that, that all, all of these things we're discussing basically bear on either the supply or demand that's good or bad. This is all just really kind of high level here, but maybe that would be something that would happen for not an indefinite. And then <clears throat> once that hits a certain size and scale, then that token becomes uh, m- more viable because there's diversity in that ecosystem. There are multiple different use cases and multiple different groups that may rely on it, use it, or implement it. And at a certain point, that network effect, the, the fact that that is a medium of exchange and a base for um, a lot of different purposes, it, it creates a more viable token economy. Um, as opposed to um, maybe, you know, if every project out there tried to introduce their own token, it would be a struggle because you would have all these different tokens all with relative values to one another. And they would all have, you know, you, you'd have individual projects essentially trying to prop up and sustain what needs to be an entire economic model. Um, when if you had an an ecosystem of you know, a couple well-established projects, maybe some upcoming projects, a few other things here and there that were, that all kind of joined into the same ecosystem token. You get diversification and you get, you get more use and more use cases on that token, which means demand's going to be more stable. And um, theoretically, if done right, right, you could do some pretty meaningful stuff to manage supply side economics there as well. Um, All of that wasn't really answering your question, but, but what I wanted to say is that ApeCoin is able to basically capitalize on what has been the most successful uh, blue chip NFT project to date. Um, And and leveraging that will allow them to get a lot of credibility on the demand side of that token. So they can kind of short circuit for now the, the fact that if you're an unproven token, you need to maintain demand. And and that's difficult to do. And so they have a leg up there. Um, <clears throat> what's interesting is that's not the, the first kind of fungible token that's been a derivative of the Board Ape, I'm, uh, Board Ape Yacht Club assets. 
Um, there have been, it, I mean, I don't want to single anything out, and I'm probably missing something. There have been some taken fairly large collections of board ape assets and put them into kind of a, a treasure of issues, you know, kind of an ape, ape backed fungible tokens that give you know kind of DAO rights and governance rights to that kind of and they're backed by it's almost like you know instead of the gold standard is the board ape standard right they're backed by that token is kind of pegged to the value of portfolio of and so that's happened before um but this seems this seems like something that's intended to uh, it seems like part of yuga labs shift into this gaming ecosystem that they're building and so i i believe that they have sort of this is now the official partner Right. I, I, to be clear, and again, like we need, we need a little fact check uh, soundboard thing too. I don't think Yuga Labs issued ApeCoin, and I don't think they officially, I, I don't think it's theirs. I don't think it's an, a Yuga Labs thing. Um, I think, but I think they have kind of blessed it and said, yeah, okay, like this is the one we'll kind of tip our hat to and say, yes, we, we acknowledge this. This is legitimate. And maybe, and I think that tipping of the hat is also like, yes, you know, obviously. They've shown their their hand that they they plan to make a game. They plan to do a lot of kind of really exciting stuff in in the metaverse and gaming space. And so, if this is that official coin, right, that's going to power that ecosystem, then again, they're they're able to leverage the existing viability and popularity of the Board Ape Yacht Club and kind of short circuit what most people have to do to shore up their demand side of their kind of model. Right. They're, they just, of course, there's demand. It's ApeCoin. Right. And so and look at this cool trailer we put out with that 3D, you know, <laughs> like metaverse teaser. And so, you know, that's a, that, that's why I think there was um, and has been right. Some some demand for it. And I watched it fairly closely when it came out. I actually haven't tracked it this week, so I don't know how it's doing, um, you know, this week. But. I think that as long as they're able to kind of ride that credibility train and as long as Yuga Labs um, kind of agrees that it is going to be the kind of de facto, you know, that that'll be the, the token of their world, then I think that, that they've got, at least for now, right, that kind of credibility that you need. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these are only valuable to, to the extent that people want to engage in those ecosystems right if 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 nobody nobody wanted to use <laughs> you know nobody wanted to engage in whatever yuga labs was building then there wouldn't be as much demand so it, it's still going to follow some hype cycle stuff it's still going to be you know in the moment the price the supply and demand are going to be setting the price right in these exchanges but um yeah i, I don't feel like they followed a traditional path I feel like most tokens really have to find a way to um, to do that the hard way, I guess I should say. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to kind of point out is obviously there was no there was no proof of stake or anything for ApeCoin. It was it was simply an airdrop and it was essentially airdropping of money out of thin air. Um, and there was an instant value behind it. Uh, and you did you did mention that like a lot of token um, a lot of tokenomics are are based off the value of those portfolios um but like the the demand well yes is obviously dependent upon what that project is doing would you say or would you agree that it's 
a lot more dependent on you know the daddy coin which is like ethereum um i think that's a factor to be sure right i mean i think that is that what what you end up kind of exploring here and i think this would be a great topic for maybe another call but um i think what we what we what you end up exploring is that these are all kind of built on multi-layer ecosystems right so um <clears throat> if you're going to issue a fungible token whether you do that through a binance protocol or you do it you know on through through a matic you know interaction or whether you do it on an ERC20 you know standard i mean there are so many there are even um i've even seen a lot of exciting <laughs> i have some friends who are let's just say um let's say they're fans of bitcoin and i won't i won't go any further um but but there are some exciting things right on that that are allowing people to build on top of that network now in, in ways that couldn't be done before and and so really you know you have at the heart of a lot of this you have yeah you have a, a base layer right and now one that everything kind of kind of runs back to so i don't think you can escape that um and sometimes even the efficiencies, right? It depends on how everything's structured, but um, even certain things with, with, with Ethereum bridges, stuff where you try to leverage Polygon technology and Matic to try and save on gas or to try and reduce impact. I mean, depending on how that stuff's bridged, you may still end up with it tracing all the way back to a block entry on Ethereum, right? Even though you're leveraging Polygon. So... It, it just kind of depends, right? It depends on the protocol and it depends on how it's structured. But yeah, I, I don't think there really is a lot of getting around the fact that at a certain point, there are some primary huge base camps or categories that a lot of this token infrastructure is just basically kind of being built on and on and on. And it it does it does need to flow right back to those to those layer ones at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, let's, uh, let's open up the floor, uh, give the, everybody that's listening right now a chance to chime in. If you guys have questions, thoughts, stuff you want to, uh, build upon with, uh, with what we've been talking about, or if you want to switch directions completely and ask something floors open. Yeah, I've got a comment. Um, so it seems as I'm getting more and more, uh, accustomed to these projects, it's like, you know, they want you to get in there, they want you to grind for whitelist, and then they want you to mint. And more times, it seems like the floors end up dropping, and then, like, their alpha or their access is whitelist to more drops, and then the coin that you can stake and get is just access to some, you know, some merch shop. And it really just seems like an elaborate marketing scheme to, it's like, Hey, thanks for giving us 500 bucks or whatever. Now you can spend more dollars on our on our website and you get exclusive access to this merch store. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair criticism of some projects and I think that to some extent, right? That's that's a model that believe it or not appeals to a certain demographic of collector out there, right? I mean, I I've been I I've been Let's say I, I've kind of looked at projects deeply that seem to follow that model and they have their they have their community, right, that that works for. But I, I agree that sometimes I look at things and go, OK, so wait, I can 
spend a lot of time here and then I earn the right to give you money, right? And then once I've given you that money, what I unlock with that is a way to give you more money, right? And then what I get, you know, like I, I see why you would feel that way. I think there are some projects that, um, that are too too quick to just try to follow that trajectory. Um, and, and again, that works for some, and I've seen somewhere it works and they sell projects and they sell their supply. They, they know their supply. They know how many to make, they know their community, they make that amount and it works for them. But, um, that, that can alienate new people who want to come into communities like that. Um, and I also feel like that doesn't necessarily have to be the way, right? I, I have bought is he breaking up for you guys as well, or is it just me? Yeah, Tim, your uh, your connection gets a little funny. If you want to start that that sentence over again. Oh, yeah, let's try that again. Here, let me do this. All right, am I back? Sounds like you're clear now. Yeah. Okay, I just switched networks. Yep. Sometimes it's clear. Um, so please tell me. Interrupt any time if I start breaking up again. Um, yeah. So I've I've participated in projects where you know the the floor price now is a third of what the mint price was and the utility that i was expecting hasn't really come to fruition and instead what it seems like i'm getting is just hey because you're here you have a chance to whitelist here and mint there and it's like well okay i think part of why that's not as appealing anymore is the space is maturing i think that when projects were fewer and more far between um having a an nft that gave you kind of an alpha channel that you could get list automatically and you could you know, be bumped up in lines in other communities was probably pretty cool um i think as the space is maturing a bit and there are just more and more and more and more projects dropping every day i think that that's starting to not necessarily be utility that people find valuable and what you're describing is actually great for this topic because i think it goes back into the kind of economics of a project which is what is going to keep demand or you need it right what's going to what's going to help ensure that your community continues to have that demand for what you're doing and and you have that's going to be a moving target like it is in any industry in any any situation right where you can't just offer the same value proposition right and and it's it's definitely amplified in the space because the space moves at you know 10 times the speed or more um a, a, of other industries but you know it, you you can't kind of rely on the same marketing and the same utility that people relied on nine months ago right or even necessarily six months ago and so that that's part of why i think you yep. see more people moving into staking um, style reward systems and you see people experimenting and innovating. And I think it's great to see that innovation, but yeah. I, I think to jump in on this as well is something to look out for as you kind of pointed out, Taco, that it's like an elaborate marketing team is to see if their economic model actually is cyclical, right? So uh, there is money coming in as a net revenue source and it is benefiting the overall community. And there's also an out for the community to continue to support the project to build that tech platform that a lot of these projects are promising on building, right? So my beef is a lot of the projects 
don't do that. And so they have like a set amount of tokens allocated towards their staking model. So it's very short-sighted for an NFT project when it could actually be uh, very long-term. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. Well said. And, and, it, and it kind of loops back into what we were talking about earlier, which is, is that staking mechanic sustainable? And I think, you know, what we're discussing right now is they aren't always right because they're not all of them are being set up economically to be viable long term, um, but they provide short term utility. And so, how, how is that? Yeah, how is that being managed? But yeah, I think that's a great point. Now let's let's take that that initial uh, value and kind of pivot that with the conversation. What's what's stopping me from creating my own? Like ICO, like if I wanted to create my own coin, what would be my major holdup or hang up? Well, there's literally nothing yeah. aside from probably yeah. <laughs> the the users and volume. Because what really pushes a coin to provide that value is how many people are actually using that coin. Like right now, if we wanted to, we could do a Tom DeSicco coin. Or Tom coin? coin? I'm all about it. You know, Tom, Tom, Tom coin, coin, dude. Tom coin. <laughs> no, that's a great so, point. Yeah. yeah. So let's say we did that. And I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've looked into it. That's why I know a little bit about it because I'm all about the meme as Slar, as Slar knows. If there's a meme, I'm like a hundred percent in on it. But what, what makes me scratch my head and what I cannot wrap my head around is where the value of that coin comes from or where I can say the value of that coin will lie. Is that, is that something that I would decide or is that something that the the economy that would accept the coin would decide? Hey, I'll just tell you right now, those concerns aren't stopping a lot of people. So you just <laughs> jump in feet first. No, um, no, these are all really good points, right? So what makes that valuable? What makes what makes other altcoins valuable? What what puts the value on any token, right, in any ecosystem? And I think part of what Slar was saying and part of what you're saying right now is, you know, it, it you really do need to have value somewhere. There has to be value somewhere in that cycle. And, and so when you, if, if you just go make TomCoin and you make 10 billion of them, you can create a pie chart and show everybody how you're going to split those 10 billion. You're going to give so many to this person and that person and the other person, and you're going to allocate them all out. And you can even come up with a sophisticated time locking system. So, you know, everybody can only sell 10% of how many they hold every month and so that it's slow. You can do as much of that as you want. But at the end of the day, if, if you can't explain to somebody why the heck they should have that, all you're really going to have is a race to the bottom where people try to get out of it because they, they're going to they're gonna sell it to other people. And the only way they're get, those other people are going to make money is if they buy it from you and then find somebody to pay them more than they paid you. And how can that be sustainable if you, the issuer of the coin, isn't doing anything to add value into that ecosystem, right? Okay, so they, they'll never perfect. find someone to pay more for it than they paid if you don't inject value into the ecosystem that that coin is supporting. Awesome. Perfect. That's all I needed to hear because now my next question is, what would have stopped somebody from doing um, that for a coin? My next question is, how many Tom coin can I put you down for? No. <laughs> um, what percentage yeah, no, of the supply right. do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, so so you have a couple of, of things going on there. So ApeCoin, um, there's a lot happening there, right? They have a governance system. Of course, they have a DAO, right? Um, 
to the extent they're able to get that coin utilized in the gaming ecosystem that Yuga Labs is creating, that's that's real value. People will need that coin to transact in whatever that metaverse is, right, that Yuga's creating. Which means if I buy a bunch of it today, even if I'm not going to engage in that metaverse, the the value they're injecting is saying, hey, we are going to use this as a as a de facto currency in this ecosystem. So people will need to buy that from me. Even if I don't want to use that metaverse, people do. They need that token, and I'm sitting on a bunch of it. So they get they, You're cutting out again, Tim. Oh my goodness, sorry guys. Yeah. So so what I was getting at is the to to the extent that they make that coin like a de facto currency for an in-game world or a metaverse, there will be demand for it, right? That's outside of the people who hold it today. So what they're promising is future demand, future people who want it. And, and therefore, by holding it today, you will be able to, basically, you have a, a future market they're promising you, right? People will want to buy this so they can buy ape hats and ape shirts and ape pants and put them on their ape in the ape metaverse, right? So coin value has to be injected from, like you said, like an L1 <laughs> currency? Or from a project, right? And this is, I think, what Slar was saying, right? Projects can inject value back into their ecosystems. So if um, so, it doesn't have to be the case that ApeCoin is getting value from some underlying, you know, Ethereum mechanic when proof of stake rolls out or something elaborate like that. It could just be that, you know, think think of think of other gaming economies. Think of kind of um, you know points one might spend in whatever game it is you like to play. Right? If if you had to exchange into those points and, and you could earn some while you were playing, but all the currency had to be an in-game currency and people had to buy that in-game currency. People who held the supply of that in-game currency would have liquidity. They'd have a path to sell that to people who play that game or engage in that space. And so the promise of that future demand can also set a value, right? Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. And so that's why ApeCoin, you know, to, it, when they said it might be used in this whole Ape metaverse, Ape game, whatever Yuga Labs is cooking up that you know, has a ton of hype behind it for them to say, this is the currency of that world. If you, if, if, if you believe in NFTs and you believe in metaverses and you believe in Yuga Labs because of what they've accomplished so far, why wouldn't you believe in holding their, basically their dollar, their world's currency, right? Because if their world blows up, there will be more participants in that economy and those participants need the currency and you have the currency. And so now there's, there's higher demand and that will shift prices up, right? When demand increases on a fixed supply line, then price goes up. Gotcha. Um, let's uh, let's open the floor again before I just keep asking you questions over and over again, Tim. Do you guys have anything you want to interject? Because I will I will keep talking and I will keep asking questions. I have a quick question. I've always actually wanted to ask you, uh, Tim. Um, what are some newer projects that you feel are doing staking correctly? Well, so it's hard, I think, to name specific names at this point because so many of these models are in their infancy and they're, they're even, even talking about ApeCoin right now, right? We're talking about the promise of future demand side pressure, right? We're, we're not even really seeing, seeing that. So I think what's working right now from a mechanical and technical perspective is, um, and we need our fact check sound, so cue the fact check thing. But I think I think to the extent that you can actually participate in staking pools for protocols like Polkadot, I think 
fact check. Um, and and uh, there are a couple others um, that maybe we can ch- chat about in the chat. And again, not financial advice here, but I think that where there is an actual proof of stake mechanism that's functioning, and I think where you're participating in a staking pool that has a chance to validate a hash and, and mine tokens, and those tokens come back in the form of yield to the staking participants, I think those work, right? Whether they're, they're super viable, whether you think the yield's worth it relative to the cost of the asset, those are all you know, specific individual questions, but those work. In terms of NFT projects, I think ones that either have enough backing right now or belong to, uh, you know, kind of multi-use case ecosystems such that you're not just staking for a token that all your eggs are in one basket, but maybe there's some diversity to their ecosystem or um, the ecosystem is so well backed like you go with a... um, Oh gosh, like something billions of dollars of valuation, $4 billion valuation on their raise. Fact check again. Um, you know, but f- you know, they're backed by a company with that type of valuation. Um, you know, that to me indicates some potential viability, but I don't even know if ApeCoin has a staking system in place. So to be clear, like I, I we've talked about them a lot, but um, I've read a little bit about their governance and DAO procedures, but I, I don't even know if they have staking for ApeCoin yet. Maybe they do. Um, but, but yeah, so I think who's doing it right? I think that from a, from a technical and economic perspective, the pools that participate in validation make sense. Um, NFT projects, I don't, I don't know if, the, if there are some that I would point to and say, do that, do exactly what they're doing because it's so project specific. And, um, but what I would look for would be people who have put thought into viability and longevity, like Slar was saying. Like you'd want to see that people have said, hey, we've put thought into this. There is a value input and a value out, right? There's a cycle here and the cycle generates value for the project community and its participants. And therefore it returns value to the community and its participants. And that, that cycle makes sense. And there's been thought put into it. That's what I would look for. Cool. I um I did want to bring up uh one term uh maybe we can do a little bit more of a deeper dive on with regards to crypto and token uh and that's that's deflationary cryptocurrencies and deflationary tokens uh and how they work within an ecosystem uh and something that we can kind of keep our, our eye open for uh and know a little bit more about if we do find projects that have uh, st- uh staking and, and tokenomic yeah so n- and now this me still apologize. I think it's great in the little cloud cover here. I, I don't know. My reception's being a little bit weird. But anyway, so um so I think what I heard is kind of deflationary cryptocurrency deflationary tokens. Yes. Questions about that. So um yeah, m- maybe warrants another discussion, but basically it, it sounds like the way I understand them to be are tokens whose value like depreciates on a fixed schedule over time. Um, either through like a burning mechanism or, you know, people agreeing to fix buybacks or something like that. Um, I think buyback structures are less deflationary tokens and more just supply side management techniques. Agreed. Um, but I think that what, regardless, right, of whether those are utilized and how, um, I think the key thing that you're looking at here is people trying to crack that supply supply management and 
when we were talking earlier about TomCoin or we're talking about projects who undertake to have their, you know, a sole token just for, for one project instead of for a whole ecosystem, I think what you run into is the fact that maintaining and managing what effectively amounts to monetary policy and supply side economics is challenging, right? How do you ensure that you don't face deflation as a project um, as you have kind of token supply that's going out there and, and being pushed out there? How do you manage deflation? So while you can, you know, there are some proponents of uh, kind of blind buybacks on schedules. And, um, I, and again, I know people have experimented. To be, to be clear, I'd need to do a little bit more work on how, the, how tokens have been used successfully as deflationary instruments. But um, in, in my view, I think deflation is a bigger challenge than something you'd want to, you'd need to inject manually. I think a lot of projects will run into deflation as, as a problem, right? Rather than having to inject deflation. Um, and so, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Uh, but I look at, I I mean, the two big ones that I think everybody should at least know the name is we look at like a Bitcoin, which is a non-deflationary. There's a finite amount of Bitcoin out there. So you're almost, you're looking at, um, uh, like an inflation versus deflation with that, that there is, you know, supply and demand obviously, where let's look at uh, like a Dogecoin. And I believe that Dogecoin uh, does not have a finite amount of token. I think that's yeah, correct. So yeah. if you bought a billion Dogecoin and nobody else bought it the next day, the price would actually have gone down uh, because it is deflationary. So, yeah, uh, just kind of uh, running through what, what that is. And I don't know if people knew, but... Yeah, and and it could be even more complex, right? Because you could buy a million Dogecoin from another person, which wouldn't necessarily increase the supply, or they could mint a million new Dogecoin and you could buy directly from Dogecoin, right? That would increase the token supply. And so thinking about who gets to decide whether you do that and how is another important factor. Um, You probably have no say over whether the million you buy are newly minted or bought on the secondary, but insiders do, right? So the people who, who manage Dogecoin, they control the token supply. And this is kind of back to what I was saying earlier, is that they're essentially responsible for managing the supply-side economics of that project. If they, if they decide to mint 10 billion more tomorrow, that's going to impact everybody who holds Dogecoin. And they may or may like i mean the, why would or wouldn't they do that do you know them do, do we know what economic principles they're operating under um is there something that the that the supply is being kind of pegged to or, or watched against i mean those are all questions that would bear on what you're saying because if you did buy your million at the market day you you would probably push you you might push price up because there's probably not a lot of a million that's available at a set price you'd probably buy you'd probably kind of drive your own price up as you tried to buy 1 million at once. You, well, actually, Dogecoin is so low, right? But, um, but what would happen is you, you'd buy from the lowest, you know, you'd have the, the lowest asks and you'd buy up until you hit your, your purchase. But then tomorrow, they could just mint 10 billion more yep. and they could just inject those into the market. And then what would that do? To, it would just change. 
would undermine what you just did and, and the market mechanics. So market um, mechanics would be yeah, a very so good right. topic and, at some point. It would probably be, be a lot longer than an hour, but uh, definitely something I'd be interested in talking about for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good topic. And and I think that you've hit on something important here, which is you've talked about inflation and deflation and where that value comes from. And importantly, you, you've, you've highlighted like, look, so Bitcoin, there's kind of a finite amount. They're also, they're, they're being issued right, as an incentive for mining and for validation. Um, Dogecoin, right, there, there wasn't any clear, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there was any clear criteria. They're not an incentive token. You don't, you don't perform, you, you're not adding value, right, when you get Dogecoin. Again, back to what Slar said, back to what I've been saying, token, tokenomic models tend to be at their best when you have value into a system and value coming out to a system and those things can exist in balance, right? Because what's the value of the ecosystem aside from, I guess, consensus that there's value, right? Whereas, and I think to some degree, and that's a criticism people levy against a lot of cryptocurrencies. To some degree, Bing's value comes from the fact that people think it's valuable. Um, but there's also value in that it is, um, it's an incentive being given out to people who are vying for the ability to participate in a proof-of-work validation model. And there's actual resources being put into that ecosystem. And that yields a Bitcoin, essentially, to somebody who's putting that value into the ecosystem. And so there's at least some exchange there. And that can be modeled out, right? But 10, 10 billion tokens split amongst 100 people in this group, that, that's not value in, value out. That's just a pie chart. Yeah, I think along with that, I think something to point out on whether or not a staking project has a lot of potential is what's being built on top of that token platform, right? So when you think of tokenomics, um, I always relate it back to just good old classic gold or the US dollar, right? Why is it valuable? What attaches value there? And it's the amount of trade that goes between the commodity and the currency, right? So if you are looking at a staking project and it is an end-to-end project that offers their token offering specifically just for their specific holders, I feel like that's a bad way to go about an economic project because it doesn't open up collaboration. Um, And so that's always something to look for too, is like who else is building on top of this token? Tell you guys that uh, TomCoin is extremely collaborative and I can't wait. (laughs) <laughs> until the launch <laughs> and speaking of pie charts everybody in here gets uh 10 10 000, uh tom coin once it launches out of the 10 billion pool oh let's go <laughs> tom coin to the moon um yeah no and and that's that's the that's a really really great point and it it, it hints on some of the principles that we talked about earlier which, which i love which are kind of diversification of potential demand side right? So are there more people? Is there an ecosystem? Is there a true ecosystem and community that can plug into that, can utilize it, can, can suit their own use case with it? Because if, if that can happen, then you have diversification in the demand and the use. And if some of those use cases become successful, 
then it becomes it, it lifts that whole ecosystem up in a really good way, um, which is which is I think an improvement over everybody trying to kind of do their own thing. And I don't know if we uh, <clears throat> if we touched on this with DAOs, I think we might have, but this kind of concept of if if every group and every community has entirely their own separated coin and they're all trying to support their own economies, they're all going to have exchange rates that are like really complex and relative to one another. And it's going to start looking an awful lot like how money and currencies used to look when you had, you know, every state had their own money and some states wouldn't take other states' money. And, you know, if you were buying something one place, it was really hard to, to do that. And I, I mean, there were some logistical uh I guess, barriers back then that, that don't exist now with the technology. But I think part of the point that still stands is, you know, you kind of wind up with these communities being almost like an analogy for a modern day company town that used to pay its people in their company dollar and you'd go to the company store and you'd buy the company t-shirt and you'd, you know, it just was kind of that vibe. And, and that's hard because in, you know, those, there's so many projects that they can't all support a full at least my, my opinion, right? They can't all support a, a complete and entire economy. And even if they could theoretically, we're now relying on each and every individual project manager to at least at a minimum level of, of expert, but some level of, of sophistication to manage that economy and either encode it into governance so that there's, there's kind of autonomous and, and, and decentralized control over the supply side economics so that it's viable or so you've kind of got um ex ante like like expertiseism who can they can try to set up a sustainable model ahead of time or you've got kind of reactive um economics where maybe they're responsible for managing that supply in real time and kicking off initiatives and minting tokens when needed and sending it out but it, that that's you start asking an awful lot of community organizers and and project leads who are probably building something really cool, but now have to spend a lot of time on these other things. So I, I like what Slar was saying, which is that if you have collaboration and you have a lot of people building um, in ecosystems together that have a, a lot of different ways of value coming into that ecosystem, then it's just, it's a little bit easier on everybody. And I think it's a better sign, right? For long-term viability and, and use, especially if there's staking involved. Well said, cool. Well, we are uh, just coming up on an hour. Before we close this out with some maybe like a final thought and sign off, uh, we'll open the floor one more time uh, for listeners. If you guys have any questions, things you want to ask Tim, uh, things you want to just uh, re-bring up, re-clarify, uh, now's the time to do so. Uh, I'll be the first to say thank you guys so much for coming and listening uh, to our NFT AMA about uh, tokenomics and staking NFTs. Uh, again, my name's Tom. And um, thank you again, Tim. Yeah, no, thanks, everybody. Um, these are always great. Uh, can't wait to see what everybody decides that we're going to talk about next time. And uh, yeah, feel free to to hit up with questions in the chat. And yeah, thanks. Appreciate everybody. Bye, guys. See you. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. See you later. See ya. Join these future live recordings by joining Quarter Machine's Discord at discord.gg slash quartermachine and find out more about the unnamed technology crew at unnamed.gg.